and we are going. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the High Button Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Belanger. Happy to have you with us. Today's episode is brought to you by Generous United. Generous United is a membership-based buying group headquartered right here in Atlantic Canada. Their goal is to make sure prescription drugs are more affordable for people like you and I or family members, or friends, doesn't really matter who, we can all be benefiting from the services at Generous United. If you can save money on prescription drugs, that means you're going to be able to afford other aspects of healthcare, massage, dental, acupuncture, doesn't really matter what it is. So what Generous United will do, they will team up with your pharmacist, another member in your community who wants to make sure that you're living your healthiest life. Generous United and that pharmacist will team up and give you a free, attentive personalized service that will allow you to save money on prescription drugs. Head on over to their website right now, G-E-N-R-U-S-United.ca. That's G-E-N-R-U-S-United.ca. And see if there's anything that Generous United can be doing to help you, a family member, a loved one, doesn't matter who. Today's episode is also brought to you by Crypto Vantage. Cryptocurrency is everywhere. It's at your dinner table. It's in the air. It's everywhere you go. People are talking about cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency. What CryptoVantage wants to do is to make sure that you understand the language of cryptocurrency. CryptoVantage gave us our own page on their website. That's right, our own page. I want you to head on over to CryptoVantage.com slash high button. Fill out the white paper at the bottom of the sheet and CryptoVantage will send you a free white paper package that will allow you to learn everything that you need to know about cryptocurrency. Did you know that teams like the Oakland, Oakland Athletics are allowing fans to purchase tickets using cryptocurrency? It's unbelievable the things that we're doing in 2021. You don't even re- need real money anymore. It's unbelievable. CryptoVantage has helped me in the past make the right decisions when it comes to investing in cryptocurrency, and I want them to be able to give you the right help just like they've given me the right help okay one more time head on over to cryptovantage.com slash high button fill out the white paper at the bottom of the sheet and they will send you a free information package that will allow you to learn everything that you need to know on the latest trends when it comes to cryptocurrency all right crypto vantage high button sports we're here to help you boom love a good ad read Early in the morning. Welcome back, uh, ladies and gentlemen, to the High Button Podcast. Like I said earlier, I am your host, Justin Belanger. I do appreciate uh, each and every time you click that that download, that listen, that play button. It means the world to me. It really does. Uh, if you could do me a quick favor, head on over to the iTunes page on the podcast app. Give us a five-star rating, four-star, three-star, whatever kind of star you think that this podcast deserves. I would generally, genuinely, genuinely, genuinely appreciate it. I only have one cup of coffee this morning. I might have, I might need two to get the word straight. Um, also leave a comment. That'd be great. Give us your honest opinion of this podcast. And it's little things like that, that allow uh, this podcast to grow is getting feedback from our listeners. So once again, I do truly appreciate that. Today's podcast, probably one of the more exciting podcasts uh, that I've ever done. Um, We've had tons of athletes on this podcast. We've had um, artists. We've had musicians. We've had chefs on. We've had entrepreneurs on. Um, But this gentleman, this gentleman is special. Mickey McDonald. I'm sure you've heard him in conversations around this part of the world, in Atlantic Canada. Uh, when there's a guy that's done so much to, to give back to his community, to, uh, to raise awareness of business 
within the community and to, uh, you know, let's not hide it here, to, to do very well in, in business. Uh, guys like Mickey McDonald, their name gets brought up in conversation. I reached out about two weeks ago uh, to his people. His people got back to me and I was fortunate enough to uh, to get an hour of his time uh, to land this podcast. So I'm very fortunate for Mickey McDonald to come on the show. If you're not aware of his resume, I'll break it down for you. I grew up in Fairview here. Uh, dropped out of school at a young age, actually. Moved to Toronto, started bouncing around, doing some odd jobs, uh, growing thick skin. When he was in Toronto, started picking up boxing. Uh, got into boxing when he was young and actually transferred his uh, love for boxing into his adulthood and started up a gym here in Halifax uh, called Palookas, which has done very well. Uh, he also helped find Clearwater with John Risley uh, back in the day. So very, very cool entrepreneurial story back then. He also sold Down East Mobility back in the 90s. Uh, I think it was around $50 million he sold that company for to Bell. I think he had 50 stores across Atlantic Canada and, uh, yeah, sold it to Bell for $50 mil. I'm pretty sure that's the exact number. Nonetheless, this guy, he, he, he's attention to detail. Attention to detail and I think that's a, a big part of his success and why he's able to uh, succeed in the entrepreneurial world uh, here in Nova Scotia. It's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. And somehow Mickey's cracked the code in, into the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial ventures here in Nova Scotia. So I'm excited to talk to Mickey. It's going to be a great conversation. Uh, I'm Justin. This is the High Button Podcast. Here we go. You know what comes next. Mickey McDonald, thank you very much for joining the podcast. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. I'm, My pleasure. I know you're a busy man, so like you know, taking an hour out of your day, I do appreciate it. I really do. What's uh, what's what's a Monday look like for Mickey McDonald? Every Monday, are you a ritual guy? What's the day look like? Uh, no, I always start my day off in the morning. I, I go to the gym six days a week, so I go down first thing in the morning at seven and uh, work out for about an hour, an hour and a bit, and then. Uh, come up and start my emails and start tra- traveling around on my businesses and lots of stuff going on. So Six days a week you're at the gym? Yeah, yeah. If you don't want me asking, how old are you right now? 69. Wow. Has it always been that way? Have you always yeah, ta- taken yeah. fitness into account? Yes. No, I was, I remember back in the day when I was, uh, gee, way back, I, I started boxing when I was in like 20, 20-something, 20 20, 20, 21, something like that, and I was fighting on the street, fighting in the... I always say, I tell people, yeah, I've fought on the street, I've fought in a ring, and I'm fighting a business every day, right? So it's um, it's just something I like to do. It's a discipline that uh, I know that uh, if I get through that, the rest of the day is going to be easy. So I still, uh, I remember I used to, when I had down east going, I had uh, this trainer coming in at 5 o'clock in the morning to uh, work out with me, you know, when uh, <laughs> 5 o'clock. Yeah, because I had a you know, time to work out for an hour or six, have a shower, get down to work. I met the boys at uh, at uh, Tim Hortons. We used to meet for coffee and uh, business stuff at uh, with the guys from Clearwater and that, right? So Yeah. I want to talk about growing up in Fairview. I myself grew up in Clayton Park, and I had friends from Fairview. And not that there was anything wrong with Clayton Park. It was great, but it was uh, it was more of like a, it was a safer community. And whenever I went to Fairview, that's where I, I'd like to say I, I, I grew thick skin. I knew I learned to... You know, if someone's making fun of you, you learn to take it and then you learn to give it to someone else. You learn to be quick. You learn to be witty. You learn to be, it just brings something out of you that didn't growing up in the suburbs. And I just wanted to talk about growing up in Fairview, what that, uh, what that was like at a young age back then. You know, it was, uh, I remember my first memories of Fairview were uh, fighting, right? I remember uh, I was only like, must have been four or five, I guess, and uh, 
I have a kid across the street, me and him were fighting, and he was on top of me, pounding me in the face, and uh, my brother was standing there, and I could see my dad looking down from the deck, you know, and uh, anyways, he comes down, he says, okay, break it up, he says, now, shake hands, you know, if you win the fight, and told the other guy, he says, you win the fight, so, and he said to me, my brother, Rick, he says, uh, you guys better come in the house here, he said, I better show you how to fight before you get killed out here, right, <laughs> because that's all fear he was back in those days, right? And so, uh, you know, I still remember it to this day is that what he said to me is not about the fight or anything else. He, you know, he told us to hold our hands and stuff like that. But it was what he said to me that uh, I think had a, a profound effect on my life is that uh, he said, never go into anything thinking you're going to lose. If you're going to think you're going to lose, don't do it. He said, but you never know if you can do something until you really try, right? And so first, when I was a kid, I took that as, well, I'll fight anybody now, right? Just, I think I can win. Yeah. <laughs> so I went through my first few years fighting and stuff like this. Here. And uh, But really, what it meant to me later on, it, it dawned on me that uh, going into anything, thinking you're going to lose, it's just negative energy, right? So I remember when I was, a uh, guy said to me when I was 16, 17, he said, you know how to drive truck? Yeah. Doesn't everybody? Right. Do you know how to do this? I remember when I left home, went to Toronto, lived in the streets, and, you know, went looking for a job. The guy said, do you know how to, you know, use power saws? And I thought, oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah, I did that all the time. Took a course of that, actually. <laughs> further away. Further away, okay, sorry. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's you know, and that's the way I approach life. Do you know how to dive, drive, drive dump truck? Yeah. yeah. And the guy, that guy gets in the truck, says, okay, well, take me for a drive. Show me how to drive it. So I get in, I... And they're diesel, right? Diesel are different than gas, right? So I get in and I'm like, ar, ar, and grinding the gears. And Jesus, said, this seems to be a little bit different than what I used to drive. <laughs> <laughs> the guy said, here, let me show you how to drive this thing. You know? So he took me out, showed me how to drive it, and I picked it up, and away I went, right? So uh, I never drove a dump truck before in my life. But The things back in the day when you didn't need a certificate. Eh? Yeah, yeah, I know how to do it. Yeah, yeah. They'll believe you. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, that's still that's still true today. If you go into, like, if, you're, if somebody asks you, you can do something, you usually take the word for it that they say, yeah, they can do it. Yeah. So I always say, I can do that. Some things I just haven't done yet. Right? I love that. Yeah. When we first started this business, I don't know, obviously you're aware of COVID, but we have a live streaming aspect of our business because when COVID was a thing, parents couldn't go in to see their kids play. So there was kids playing, parents couldn't see. And uh, one parent just came up to us and said, do you guys live stream? We don't live stream, but I used your rule of thumb. Yeah, we do. You wouldn't believe the amount of things we had to do in order to get the internet up and running in a ring because you have thick cement buildings, can't get internet through. Well, you're aware of the internet, what your business, but unbelievable the things you could do. I agree with what you say. Just say yes, go for it, even if you can't. Yeah, no, I still do the same thing today. I tell people in my business that uh, you never say no until I tell you to say no, right? We could do anything, right? Some things, like I said, doesn't matter what it is. I mean, you know, we do we do a lot of different things in our business, right? But uh, we do them right, and we just we search it out, we make it happen, and uh, it's all about uh, positive attitude, not being being afraid of stuff. Fear is one of the biggest things that uh, stops people, right? That's this is what uh, uh, I I can't tell you how many people say to me, I, I was going to do that, right? Or I was going to do that, right? Yes, well, I did it, right? So the thing is, is that um, people used fear to, you know find reasons not to do it i use fear to motivate myself right because i last thing in the world is i'm not going to be afraid right so i push myself past the fear and uh yeah i can do this right and uh some things like i said i just haven't done yet but you fumble and fall you you know bang, you know get a few uh, bangs and scrapes but you'll find your way through it and i always tell people you know if you want something bad enough you'll find a way to do it
you just got to drive. You got to have that desire. I like that. It's known that you were, uh, you dropped out of school at a young age and I was always wondering why was it because you weren't agreeing with the work? You weren't agreeing with the teachers or you like to implement your ideas better. It's always known that great entrepreneurs don't really do well in school, but I just wanted to know your reason of why you left. Well, you know, it was, uh, there is probably a lot of reason looking back through time now, but, uh, you know, uh, the people I was hanging out with, and that's why I always say positive role models are important for your children and for your people, right? Um, you need positive role models. And the role models that I was hanging out with there were probably not the, you know, these guys are we were hanging out with, they were going to uh, 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 Sudbury to seek their main uh, fame and fortune in the mines. You know, nickel mines up there, they're hiring people. Yeah, let's go up and get a job in the mines. So I said, yeah, sure, I'll go along. But, you know, it was funny because I went and I told my mom I was going to quit school and leave. And I think she, uh, you know, she had, she was seven of us, right? And I think she, uh, she was worn down quite a bit. So she says, okay. You know, if she had told me no, I probably wouldn't have went. But anyway, she's going to let me go. I'm going to go, right? So I quit school and I uh, uh, went with the boys. There was um, five of us that went up there. And funny thing about that is I was, we were going and we stopped in Toronto. And for whatever reason, I said, I'm going to get out, guys. I'm going to, as far as I'm going, I'm going to stay here. And so they said, what? You know, I said, yeah, I'm going to stay here. So anyways, they went on and I stayed in Toronto. I didn't know anybody. It just... Uh, you know, slept in the park and did all kinds of stuff. But, you know, I did find a job and, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was crazy. But uh, I just did it. And I don't know I don't know why. And then I went, out, I went out to Toronto a few other times by myself. Didn't know anybody. But I I always traveled by myself, right, And uh, after that. And um, I went to Vancouver, worked in the mines, worked, you know, went, worked in the woods up there. And, uh, yeah, I did quite a few different jobs around Canada. And it taught me a lot, right? Taught me that I can survive, right? Do you think that the the rough nature of Fairview built confidence in yourself to be able to hold a conversation with maybe people that you had, you know, strangers? I'll tell you a story about Fairview. <laughs> so, anyways, I was going to go to Toronto, right? Yeah. And the guy says, listen, he says, if you're going to have any trouble out there, just tell them you're from Fairview. And these guys are afraid of people from Halifax, Nova Scotia, right? <laughs> just tell them from Fairview, Halifax, Nova Scotia, right? And I said, yeah, okay. So, anyways, so I'm out in uh, Toronto, right? And I got a job at this place. So, I'm... Uh, I'm at this gas station and uh, the hell, uh, Satan's Choice were there, These the bikers, right? Okay. So uh, the guy says, uh, you know, the guy starts saying stuff in a voice. One thing led to another. I said something about the guy. I said, get him, right? And so the bus pulls up. I get on the bus. And um, I'm thinking the bus driver, get going, get going. <laughs> Anyways, the bus driver, he lets these guys on. I don't even think he charged them, right? These two guys, these two strikers with him. Anyway, so these guys, um, you know, they're looking at me. Saying, so I go over and I... I lean across the seat and I, I said, listen, guys, I don't know what you guys are looking for, but I'm from Halifax, Nova Scotia. I said, I don't care where you're from. I'll beat the shit out of you. Right? And I'm thinking, who told me that? Well, I can only think of who told me that. I got to kill him, right? Anyway, so I went up and I fought the guy and uh, went in the back alley. We fought. And the guy says, hey, we'll go in the back alley here. I said, well, let's fight on the street here. And the guy said, no, no, we'll fight in the back alley. So I went up in the back alley and fought him and... Uh, Anyways, it was a good fight, but I lost. <laughs> but I won't tell you how what he did to me. But uh, since you're online here, I won't say what he did to me. To uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah, I was I was actually doing pretty good, and then he he reached down and grabbed me where no man ever grabbed me before, 
and I never knew, knew uh, like greasy that well it was, but it, I tell you, it was uh, black and blue there, and I never thought I was going to be able to have kids after that. One. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was a trick I learned after that. I said, uh, be careful of that stuff. <laughs> so, at what point in your life did you realize that you had an entrepreneurial touch? Well, you know, I never thought too much about this. You know, let me tell you my entrepreneur story, okay? This this word entrepreneur came out in the early 90s. People started calling themselves entrepreneurs, and it seemed like a sexy word, entrepreneur, you know? Sounds great. So, yeah, I could be an entrepreneur. So I started saying, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur. And then uh, I went to a trip down to the States for this here business thing. And uh, when I'm going down there, it's actually what your occupation is, right? <laughs> entrepreneur. So I go, uh, uh, how do you spell that? Was that E or an I? And then I became a small business owner. I've been one ever since. I like that. Yeah, no, small business owner. Keep it humble. That's it. Small man. business Just owner. Entre- entrepreneurs, they use that word to describe a lot of different people, academics. You know, everybody's an entrepreneur. And everybody's entrepreneur thinking, I'm a survivor, and I'm a hard worker, and I'm a small business owner. I like that. Well said. Said it. Um, I, I want to talk about, like, okay, I'm a small business owner. I guess I'll I'll throw entrepreneur out the door for this podcast. <laughs> I'm a small business owner, and I'm learning things every day. And uh, you, you've gone through the trenches, and I'm, sh- I'm sure you're still learning things every day as well in, in the businesses that you're in. One thing I'm trying to uh, figure out in my business um, are, are meetings. I'm having a, I'm a this company has grown probably in the past year with COVID actually helped our business, believe it or not. It was great, and we're having a lot of meetings um, with people that are slash fans slash they're kind of doing their own thing and they want to join their brand with our brand. And I'll sit in a meeting for an hour and I'll leave it and I'll go, what really just got accomplished for that past hour? Did we just talk and get to know each other or did anything really get accomplished? So I want to talk to you and ask you, whenever you enter a, a meeting of maybe a business you want to acquire or something um, that you're interested in, what, what are some things that you look to gain from that meeting rather than just sitting there going, oh yeah, you did this well, I did that well. It's in, Nothing really gets done. Well, you know, there's there's... There's uh, lots of things I could say here, but, you know, I bought, I purchased over 50 or 60 businesses, right? And, uh, you know, I never took any courses or never showed me how to do that. I just did it, right? And uh, that's, you know, when you're meeting with people and that there, it's um, listening. You know, my dad always said you learn more by listening. And first of all, what are you having the meeting for? Are you just meeting for the meeting? To shoot shit or you're meeting to buy his business or sell your business so i mean you got to have a purpose for the meeting and, and then after that then you can uh you know you can figure your strategy out right okay you know it's uh what's your purpose for the meeting right and uh i mean like i said uh, as, I, as i said earlier you lose lip sync shit but you learn more by uh listening than talking right and uh so i listen and see where the opportunity is if there's an opportunity well said you writing that down? Yeah, yeah good. Uh, I want to talk about the early Clearwater days. Early. Yeah. Let's talk about like that's. Well, you know, it was uh, that was way back in the day. I just got back from Toronto, actually, or Vancouver. I just got back from Vancouver, and it was uh, like recently, or you mean like the back then? Back when oh, sorry, Clearwater, back when then. Clearwater sorry, started. Okay, yeah. So I just got back from Vancouver, and I was working in the mines, as I said, and. Uh, uh, there was John uh, Risley was starting this. He was selling trucks, uh, lobsters out of a back of a truck or something like that. My mom told me about it because you know, he was my brother-in-law at that time, right? And I, I had worked for John for years, just since I was like 60, 15 or 16. I used to drive truck for him. I used to do all kinds of stuff, right? So anyways, uh, 
he called me up. My brother Colin had just got back from Africa, right? And so he needed a hand get this lobster thing going. So uh, my brother Colin was a plumber. He kind of put everything together, uh, put all the tanks in. And uh, uh, me and John, we went out to pick up lobsters up in uh, Cape Breton, Grand Manan, I think. Was, we went to Grand Manan with this five-ton truck. Broke down a couple times on the road, but I fixed it and kept going because I was a mechanic too, right? So Were you? Know, you? Or you just said you were? I, <laughs> I said I was. I could fix them. Okay. So... Anyways, we get there and we get these lobsters. The truck's full of lobsters, and we don't know anything about lobsters, right? So there were canners, and they're small, and it was hot August, and it was uh, we loaded them up with ice, and we bring them back to Nova Scotia. Well, when we come back, we checked the lobsters, and they're they're getting weak and they're dying, right? So we thought if a lobster died, there was no good to eat. So we said, well, geez, we better cook them. We gotta cook them. We gotta cook them all tonight because that's the only way you can, you know, can uh, save them, right? So where are we going to cook them? I, said, well, I had a, a basement apartment on Piers Avenue in Armdale. I said, well, go to my apartment. And so in Piers Avenue in Armdale, we cooked like four or 500 pounds of lobsters all night long, all night long. I think if you can go up there, you can still smell <laughs> I was going to say, what's yeah. your landlord thinking? Are they your neighbors? <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, no, that's how, uh, how Clearwater first got started. That's unbelievable. So about the, the distribution of the lobsters, it was just the back of a truck to start? How, how do you advertise that? No, they were, just, they were starting just uh, um, just park it on the side of the road and sell well, some trucks. Yes, lobster. But when when uh, I went and helped him, they were just he just got a deal and renting that place where the Bidford Highway, right where Clearwater is now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, actually, it's where the parking lot is. But uh, that's where we uh, set up in there, and uh, we started. We put the lobsters in the tanks. That's what my brother hooked up the tanks so there's water circulating, so the lobsters could live in it and. Yeah. If you had to count how many times do you think your hands have been bitten by lobster through the beginning of that company? Lobsters never bite you. Oh, not bite. You know what I mean? Like claw you. Like yeah, they, they don't, they're they're fine. No. 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 How if you wanted to get some lobster for free right now, could you? No. No, you have to pay. <laughs> <laughs> you got to pay. Yeah. You know something? I like any of my business. When I go in, I set the standard. I pay. Everybody pays, right? So with chicken burger or anything else, one of the stores we have, I always pay. And it's just a good standard to have because people see, if your staff see you taking stuff for nothing, and they, they deserve it too, right? And they're going to say, well, I'm doing it too. So best way to do is my humble opinion is that uh, I lead by example. Well, that was actually going to be my next question is uh, is leading others and inspiring others and motivating others to, to want to work for your, your companies. What's your belief system in that? I'm, what do we have right now? Six we have six employees right now working for us and I'm starting to learn and, and manage and guide, I guess, uh, the young minds that we have working for us. And it's a challenge every day to try to, I guess, motivate, motivates the key word for me, but, uh, in your aspect and through your experience, what, uh, what do you think is the key to that? Well, I did have, I've had a lot of business. I used to have a body shop. I used to have a little car spot, car lot. And I had, uh, you know, did all, I had a lot of different people working for me. And like I said, I worked Growing up, I've done every job that's, you know, in the back rooms, working with people and everything else. And so you kind of understand, you know, what people are saying in the back rooms, how they're feeling. Oh, the management doesn't know anything. We know it all. And <laughs> stupid assholes and all that kind of stuff. But uh, so you kind of uh, treat people as you want to be treated, you know what I mean? And treat them with respect. And, uh, you know, I don't ask anybody to do anything that I wouldn't do myself, right? And... Uh, I remember I had this guy that was working for me at one of my my down east, and he said, uh, "I'm not cleaning the bathroom. I don't clean bathrooms." I said, "Well, I clean bathrooms," and I said, "I got no problem cleaning it." 
but you're not going to be here watching me, right? So, see you later. So, anyways, I got no problem cleaning washrooms. You know, you're, you're working together. You're living in a place that uh, you got everybody chips in. And again, you have different rules and rules. Is a is a business grows and stuff like that. But again, there's nothing that I wouldn't I wouldn't ask anybody to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. Love that. Yeah. Um, the the growth of Halifax, the growth of Nova Scotia and business. You've been here for a long time, and you've seen it uh, from where it was back then to where it is now. Um, what are some of the more exciting things that you see in this province, and that? I don't know. My dream is for there to be like an NHL team one year, one day. You know, it's great with the Thunderbirds. It's pro sports, but uh, just seeing from where it was to where it is now, what do you what do you think the future holds for this province? Well, you know, we got a million people here now. They're just breaking a million people. So, you know, in the future, who knows? But I think one of the things we is uh, is a country. Uh, we need to take uh, stock of our, you know, our deficit, right? Because I mean, with you know, everybody, all this free, free money, somebody's got to pay it back someday. And I hear these people talking about these people that are one percenters, these no good bastards have stolen. I mean, everybody wants to be a one percenter, but nobody likes them, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, uh, there's, I kind of worry about the future because, like I said, there are people that are losing their, um, their drive and their initiative to create and uh, to, uh, work their way through things and make money. I mean, the thing is, that's what, what was the driving force is that uh, hard times, uh, you know, as I always tell people when I was in Toronto, uh, hunger and fear are great motivators, right? So uh, you got to find a job. you got to do something, right? And it didn't matter what the job was, just as long as it paid money. So uh, I see people today, well, I don't do that, and I'm not doing this. Well, obviously you haven't been hungry enough. But I remember working Christmas Eve and, you know, to get money to get, like my children money to to get money to buy them Christmas gifts and my family and stuff like this, so it's uh, I'm kind of worried about the future with um, and the thing is that we're a very adaptable race of course but um, I think this attitude of uh, free 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 is uh, it's gonna it's got to come a day of reckoning here. Because, you know, all these, you know, everybody likes to have this and they like to have that, like to have football and everything else, like these arenas. Who's going to pay for it, right? And are we going to sacrifice our uh, our hospitals or are we going to sacrifice this is here football? Something's got to, something's got to give. Something's got to give. Like I said, we're, we, uh, we just, there's, it's not unlimited money, especially when you can't get people to work. I'm thinking of the movie The Big Short. Have you ever seen that movie? No, I didn't. I won't go into it. Yeah. But no, I, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. No, it's, uh, again, like I said, you know, where, where's the priority for, uh, to put the money, you know, because we got health care, right? And people are saying, no, no, we got to have free health care. Well, I think there's a way to have free health care, but there's also a way to have a pain part of it, right? So it, that, uh, you know, maybe during, there's certain hours that you have, uh, People that can, you know, where you can go in at nighttime, pay a little bit extra and go in and get something done that you can't get it during the daytime, which will take people out of the lineup to uh, get get into the doctors, right? There's something we got to do because, like I said, the doctors are burning out and the nurses are burning out. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's only a matter of time before everything comes comes to an end, right? So. Mm-hmm. Well, it- 
it's funny, you know, you talk about politics just a little bit, not politics, but you talk about the, the country and things like that. And I, do you find when you're younger, you really cared about politics or as you got older, politics kind of found you? Because I feel like that's myself. I don't, when I was younger, I, I worry about my business and how to succeed. And with that comes politics. Do you find the same for you? Business and politics found you? Yeah. My, when I was my early, you know, I always said when I was a kid, I said, I'm going to, you know, fool around until I'm 25 and then I'm going to start concentrating my life. And that's what I did. I said, I'm going to always have great stories when I'm a kid. I'm going to do these things. So there's not too many things I haven't done. I'm not going to share all these stories with you, but, uh, oh, damn. they're, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> might get myself in trouble. But, uh, yeah, no, the thing is I just, I just played around, you know, I just wasn't worried about anything. And I, I remember my mom saying, geez, you know, like, what are you going to ask? I said, mom, I'm going to just live a life until I'm 25 and then I'm going to start concentrating. And, and it was funny because when I was 25, I got in the Halifax Fire Department and I started building my life, started building for the future, right? And, uh, yeah, no, it's, you know, it's uh, it was crazy how things worked out, but it just worked out just the way I wanted them to, right? And, uh, you know, I got 25, I started building for the future, started a, uh, started my body shop, had the little car lot, and, uh, yeah, and it's... Uh, a lot of great things, a lot of fun. How did Down East come together? <laughs> a lot of people probably heard this story, but I, I know uh, my kids get me tired of me telling the story all the time. But I've never heard it. Let's okay. go. <laughs> so I'm uh, in the fire department. I've got my car a lot, and I got my body shop, and uh, I'm I have a of course in the wintertime I have a plow truck, so I'm plowing driveways, right? So uh, I'm listening to this radio story. It's about this new technology coming called cell phones. <laughs> And I'm thinking, wow. And I had a pager. And my pager started going off while this guy was telling the story about how these cell phones were going to be able to call remotely from anywhere. And I'm daydreaming about, wow, if I had a cell phone, then I could be doing more things, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, uh, when cell phones came out that that spring, like this was in November, December or something like that. What what year? No, uh, 68, something like that there, 60, 68, yeah, 60, 60, yeah, maybe 68 or something. So anyways, I, uh, in the spring when they come out, uh, I, uh, of course I wanted to get a cell phone. So I called this guy I knew that I had, uh, actually was one of the guys that I went to Toronto with, right? And, uh, I said, just Randy, how can I get one of these cell phones? Like, who, you know, he said, well, I'm selling them, but uh, he was a sales guy, right? So I said, well, how much it could cost? He said, 3500 bucks. I said, oh, shit. I said, I can't afford that. How do you, you know, like, I said, how can I get a deal? He goes, nobody gets deals unless you're a dealer. Oh, how do I become a dealer? <laughs> so that's how I became a dealer. <laughs> I'm a dealer, actually. <laughs> so I started selling cell phones, and, uh, and uh, I started selling them out of my little car lot on the Bedford Highway. And then I met this guy that owned Down East, um, and he was going bankrupt, actually. He was going to leave. He's going to – he had, he just got paid for this um, sale that he did, and he was going to take the money and just leave the province. And I said, uh, well, I, he said, calls me up. He said, listen, either you're buying me or I'm leaving. And I just sold him a truck, see? So I said, well, I'll come out and take a look. So I went out, and um, – he had this technician sitting at the bench. I said, what's this guy doing? He said, he's doing the repairs of them photo, the phones. I said, who else is doing that? He goes, just me. And I said, there's a niche, right? I said, okay, maybe I will buy you. So anyways, I bought him. And uh, I remember I called Motorola and I said, look, I said, this guy owes you a whole bunch of money, like $85,000 or $90,000. I said, it's all unsecured. And uh, I'm looking at buying them, right? I'll, t- I'll take on the debt. But I said... Uh, 
I want to make sure I keep the service center. And the guy says, well, we're going to close the service up. We're going to move it to Toronto. You know, I said, well, if you've done that, then you're going to lose $85,000 because I'm not going to buy the business. The guy said, well, we're not going to make any more service centers. And I said, okay, see you later. I hung up. The guy called me back next day. He says, yeah, he says, uh, yeah, we talked it over. And, uh, yeah, we'll let you keep a, a the service. As long as you maintain a Motorola trained technician, we'll let you keep the service. Called his bluff. I says, yeah, okay. So I said, send me a letter. So he sent me a letter to that. And actually, I just found that letter a little while ago. No way. Yeah, it was some, some old paperwork. <clears throat> but anyway, so uh, the first thing I did is uh, after I got the letter and I set up the business, bought the business, I called up. This was in, this happened in March time frame, right? So I called up and I called this guy, Keith Steele in Toronto. And I said, are you in Montreal? And I said, look, I said, I understand you do training for uh, technicians for the Motorola. He goes, yeah. I said, well, can you can I get a couple guys in there? He said, well, yeah, we got a course going next week or something. He said, if you want to shoot up, I said, yeah, absolutely. So they had this technician that was working for me. He was doing it. He was it wasn't really he was an installer. What is that like? What does that mean, installer? He installed the phones in the cars. Oh, sir. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. So I, I said to uh, I said, listen, I said, uh, we're going to Toronto. He said, what? What for? I said, Montreal. I said, we're going to Montreal. He said, what for? I said, we're going to write the course for uh, technicians. He goes. Oh, no, I'm not ready for that. I said, well, me neither, but we're going. <laughs> and I said, I'm taking you so I can cheat off you. <laughs> so we went to Montreal, and we wrote the course, and uh, I got my papers for fixing cell phones, right? So that way, nobody could take this Nobody could take this uh, service center from me because I was a certified trained technician, and so nobody could take the service from me. I'm good. <laughs> right? How would you cheat off them? Does he <laughs> look over? You know, I cheated. Yes, it wasn't that hard. I got through it. That's amazing. But again, no fear. He was scared to death, but I said, "No, I'm not afraid." All right, let's do it. All right, we'll figure it away. And, what's uh, the, what's the saying? To, to just do it first, ask for forgiveness later. Yeah. What, what is that? Yeah, that's right. I, I love that saying. Yeah. That's, it feels like that's your life yeah, somewhat. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. It's easy to get forgiveness and permission. I like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. You just do it, and hey, listen. As long as you're doing, as long as you're not hurting anybody, you're doing stuff for the right reasons. People say, yeah, they say, okay, they'll let you get by. Okay, get out of here, right? Kind of, kind of deal. So it was. Uh, wow. That's the way I live my life. Yeah. And then you grew it to fifty stores, correct? Fifty-five. We had fifty-five stores, and it was uh, you know lots of good stories on the uh, the stores because at when when I first got into business, anybody could become a dealer, right? You just had to apply for it, and you could become a dealer. You no barriers to entry. Go up to Montreal, do what you did. No, come. no, no. That was totally different. See, that was gave me the service center, but nobody else could get that. Right? That differentiated made it differentiated me from everybody else because I was a service center, but anybody could be selling cell phones. Okay, sorry, sorry. Okay, I got so you. So they set up a dealer. I got you. Me. And so, anyways, I I remortgaged my house. I did everything, put everything on the line again, and I built this little shop. And actually, I quit the fire department too. Here I am in the Halifax Fire Department career, 15 years, and I quit the fire department and start doing this business, right? And mortgaged my house, mortgaged everything to build this little shop. And then the day I'm going to do the grand opening, a guy sets up across the street with the Bell Network, same as me, right? And he's selling the exact same phones on the exact same network, only he's selling them cheaper than me because he has no overhead, right? He's just got paying like 1000 bucks a month rent. And I'm, you know, I got a yeah, building, I, know, I got I know, everything yeah. mortgage. You know, what are you going to do, right? So what did you do? <laughs> so the first thing I did is I talked to my salespeople, and they said, well, what are we going to do? I said, look, first of all, 
people will pay more for a product, even if it's the same exact same product, from a knowledgeable, comfortable, confident salesperson, right? The, they don't mind paying that little extra because they know I can trust you and I'm, you're going to be here tomorrow. These guys, other guys fly by night and this guy's a fly by night guy. So okay. so anyway, so that was okay. I bullshitted that way through. So anyway, so, um, uh, it was funny because I called the president of mobility and I said, uh, listen, I said, uh, like, well, well, what are you doing, man? I said, you know, I, I just mortgaged everything. I, I did set this up and you set a dealer across the street. Are you kidding me? He goes, well, I didn't know they were going to do that. I said, well, how can you not know? You're the guy giving out the, uh, I didn't, anyways. So I sent him this little, my brother had sent me this uh, uh, article about investing in business. I guess he was trying to send me a message. He said, investing in business with no barriers to entry. You know, it's not a good thing to invest in, right? No barriers to entry. So, you know, I could have just said, well, I'm staying in the fire department. But anyways, I said, I'm going to fix this, right? So I sent him this article and then uh, he called me back. He said, yeah, I, says, I, I read that. He says, makes a lot of sense. I said, yeah. I said, look, you know, if you're going to, if you're not going to have barriers to entry, then th- th- you're going to have chaos out here because your customers are buying phones. They don't know who they're buying from. And he goes, yeah. He says, well, how would you, how do you think we could fix it? I said, well, let's have territories, right? We'll have a territory that I'm in this territory and this is mine and somebody else is in another territory. He said, well, how do we do if um, if you're not getting the penetration that we need in that area? Then I said, uh, give me first right of refusal or, you know, you can uh, take the dealership away, put another dealer in. He goes, yeah. He said, okay, that'll work. He said, okay, I'll do it. So we set that up. And that just paved the way for me because then I could buy territories, Right. Because these other dealers, right? Because so they would have slick. a dealer so I could buy the dealers, right? Slick. And so I started doing that, right? Buying the dealers and then I own those territories and nobody else can come in. And for some reason, nobody believed in it as much as me because um, I just knew that everybody was going to have cell phones. And, and I knew that the connection between cell phones and computers and everything else, when that computer started coming out and everything else, I remember putting on my sign down the Beverly Highway. They were talking, used to talk about the information highway. What's that? Nobody, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what they're doing. What's that? Right? So I said, yeah, it starts here. So I put a big sign up, information highway starts here. So people come in like, nobody knew what it was. So it is what I'm calling it. It's I love it. information highway. So I started it on the information highway starts here. And the guy said, well, what's this information highway? I said, it's a communications. I said, you're going to be able to be able to take your cell phone. You're going to be able to talk to your uh, computers. You're going to be able to talk to your house. You're going to be able to turn your lights on. You're going to, I said, you're going to be able to drive cars with it. And, Oh wow, you know, but I mean, I could see all this stuff with this, uh, with the technology happening, right? But how, like, it was just like you, you had a dream, like yeah, how does just, you just, I just, just saw believed, it? I just believed in it, right? It was just I could see this was the uh, beginning, right? And um, I built the shit out of that, and we built that business. And then the best part was is that, uh, so I've got all these cell phone stores, right? And then uh, Stenter was a phone company had to they used to buy phones together. And uh, Stenter broke up. So all the different phone companies were buying different places, like they were buying for themselves all of a sudden. So I, there was a window of opportunity, which I jumped on. I started doing because I was buying at the highest volume, so I could buy at a high volume and sell to the other dealers. Okay. So I started doing that, and then I got a call from the president of uh, Mobility, and actually from the phone company. And he says, Mickey says, you know, he says, you could probably do this a lot better than us. He said, uh, so why don't we be partners? I said, absolutely. Let's do it. And I remember people saying, what? don't do that. Them guys, are, they'll never be able to work with them. And I said, eh, I can work with them, right? And so um, 
I set up this. I set up the distribution for cell phones in Atlantic Canada, and everybody that bought a, Bell, a phone from in Atlantic Canada from uh, Bell went through my warehouse. Let's so I go. touched every one of them, every one of them. And then the, the the best how some of them were resistant and didn't want to buy from me and stuff like this because I'm a competitor, right? So I talked to the president, who was another president, then Carl was gone. But anyways, uh, they were saying, well, you know, we can't, we got to let the dealers buy from wherever ever they want to, you know. I said, well, you know, that's all good. But I said, here you are. You're signing a customer up to a three-year package, airtime package, and you're discounting the first time discounting the phone to them, right? She goes, yeah. I said, well, now... The phone, these guys are selling shit because they're not getting paid enough money. So you're, they're buying these phones that are lasting for a month or two or six, and then they're breaking. And then you've got a customer with a two-and-a-half-year contract that has no phone that's working. Now, should you realize when these guys' phones aren't working, you're not making any money because you get paid for your time? Oh, yeah. I said, so giving them a good quality phone that they can use your airtime on. Yeah. You know, this is what you got to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I never thought of that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think you're right on that. I said, absolutely. It doesn't take a brain scientist yeah. to well, figure that out. Like you <laughs> when you're there in the moment, <laughs> when you're there in the moment, see, the thing is people weren't seeing it the way I was seeing it, right? And uh, they said, yeah, yeah. So I said, I can, you know, we'll, give, we'll <clears> discount <throat> the phones at my business. At, it was called AMP, right? So we'll discount the phones there to the to the dealers, and then um, they won't have because right now you're, you're what the dealer was doing is buying the phone for five hundred dollars, he was getting a three hundred dollar discount from the, but he had to wait for forty five days to get that. I uh. said we'll give it to the dealer right up front, so he's got he pays two hundred for the phone, you guys just subsidize me with it. Well, how will we track it? I said well it's got electronic serial numbers. You know which ones are sold, and you they tell you they sold them. You hook the phones up, right? And then you and I said, well, I'll trust them. And anyway, so that's what they did. They uh, so every phone went through my warehouse. And then uh, Motorola was. Uh, we were down in uh, San Francisco, and there was a big trade show. And I said to the, I had ran into the president of Motorola, and I said, uh, Mobility, yeah. right up in Motorola. And I said, Look, I said, uh, you guys are losing your lunch here, guys. He guys, what are you talking about? I said, Well, I want you to come with me for a second. So I took them up into the show, and this place is bigger than like foot, football like fields, right? Okay. No, the big uh, uh, trade shows, right? Yeah. So I took them to the tra- to the uh, where all the aftermarket parts were being sold, right? And I said, "You see all these aftermarket parts?" He goes, "Yeah." I said, "This is they're duplicating your product, right? So you guys aren't concentrating on parts." I said, "Someday cell phones are going to be free." Little did I know they were free. So I said, someday, and the only way the dealers are going to be able to make money is by selling accessories. And selling good quality accessories will separate them. So you guys are not concentrating on your accessories. This is, you know, you're going to lose out. So I said, anyways, we went for a coffee and shot the shit. I get told more yeah, stuff yeah. that. Anyway, so uh, a few weeks later, I get a phone call. And uh, he called me up. He says, listen, Mick, he says, uh, we had a meeting when we come back. He says, and... We think you're right. So we're going to separate cellular from the accessories, make it two different divisions. He said, uh, we could probably use somebody in the Maritimes to help us sell the product and accessories in the Maritimes. 
I said, well, I'm the guy. He goes, absolutely. I was the only one on the planet given exclusive rights to Motorola accessories. I was given that by Motorola because of a a reward for them guys doing that, right? That's incredible. So when you approached the owner of Motorola in San Francisco, did you know him beforehand? No, it wasn't the owner of Motorola. He was the president president, of mobility, of the the mobile side of the business. Did you know him beforehand or you just introduced yourself? I knew him. I I didn't wear buddies or nothing, but I had met him him before, yeah. Man, the confidence just to walk up and spread an idea like that. Well, you believed, right? I believed, right? Well, it's the no fear thing too. Yeah. Like a lot of people don't have that, like just- I'm just blown away a little bit. Like, you mortgage your home for a risk like that. Did you have a wife? At the, like, did you have a uh, kids or anything? Like, yeah, I did actually. And uh, and you mortgaged? Did she... No, uh, not at that time. I did, but I did <clears throat> get married, and I did have a divorce. And uh, um, it, actually, it was right around that time. Actually, and then I met my current wife uh, just when I was getting into it because I remember she was saying. I was telling her I was going to buy this. Oh, geez, you shouldn't do that. This is on. I said, eh, I'm doing it anyways. So, anyways, uh, we've been together for over 30 years, and we got uh, we've got four kids. Wow. And uh, it's uh, my kids are working with me. They're all working with me. My, I've heard my youngest is with still my my wife decided to, uh, nine years ago that she decided to have one more. So if we. Uh, we got a little nine-year-old, so <laughs> keeping you busy, I'm sure. Yeah, man, I'm having a ball. Right? This is a, I'm living the life, man. Do you yeah. think uh, picking the right life partner has a big part to do with success? Because you're a busy man. Your your hours aren't nine to five. You're you're moving, you're grooving, and you need to have someone there that's yeah, okay with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, like I say, you. Uh, I don't know why she stayed with me. She's far better looking than me, and uh, <laughs> has a lot more than I have. But she, uh, we, I, I think. The chemistry works, right? You know, and I think that, uh, you know, as I said, I was married before and I got divorced and there was no chemistry there. It just didn't work. And uh, I was working a lot at that time. Even then I was working because I had the body shop and I had the car lot and I had the, I was in the fire department. When you're in the fire department, you're there for 24 hours, right? And then you get off, uh, you know, for 36. So then you're, then you go back again. And so you're, it's, it's, it's a different dynamic then. Yeah. Is it bittersweet selling a company? You work so hard for it, and then you make a ton of money, but it seems like in order to grow something to 55 stores, you got to love it, but then selling it. Yeah, well, you know, the guy, the president, funny about that, because the president uh, of uh, the phone company came to me, he says, hey, Mick, he says, uh, I remember, he says, uh, listen, we got to do one or, one or two things. And I said, what's that? He goes, so we can either buy you, or we're going to put you out of business. I said, what? <laughs> and why would you do that? And he said, well, you got too much market share and, you know, and so I took the high road. I said, well, I guess I'll sell, but I said, I want to make sure that things stay the same. My employees keep, oh, no, we'll keep everybody. We'll do all the stuff. So anyway, so we negotiated a price and I sold to him, but it wasn't because I wanted to. I thought I could, uh, I had a a few other dealers that I was lined up to buy and stuff like this here, but anyway, I said, I'll take the high road. And uh, because they were going to put me out of business anyway, Bill was, uh, you can put your pressure on them or whatever because, you know, with somebody with that much market share, it's a, it's a threat, right? But, and then I uh, just went on to do other things, right? I didn't want to be a one-shot pony and always one-trick pony. I started yeah. doing other stuff. The moment the money was transferred into your account, did you have a level of happiness or did you stay level how, how, how did you feel when you saw the money into your account? Uh, you know, there's, I, I don't know, it's a mixed emotion, you know, it's uh, it's always great to, you know, uh, 
get some security in your life and stuff like this. But I, you know, I'm, you know, I, I just like doing things, right? So, and you know, if something, <clears throat> I've never been afraid about surviving. You know, I always, I always knew I was going to do something, and I was never afraid about uh, being broke or anything else. And I'm still not. I mean, the thing is, I can always, I can always find something to do, right? I can always, and I don't live extravagantly that uh, you know, like a lot of other people do. And I'm not, uh, you know. I'm very, very fortunate to be in the position I am, and I like, you know, I like uh, giving back to the community. I do a lot of that, and it's, it's a, uh, to a boy from Fairview, you know, it's a, uh, it's a great feeling to be able to give a little bit back, you know. You should teach a course on fear and how to manage it. I think it's like <laughs> you know, you're not afraid to sleep on a park bench, but that's the reason you're probably sleeping in a, a big house. You know, I think it's, it correlates very well. You know, it, to me well, at least, listening to you, just meeting you for the first time. You know, it's funny how people are afraid of getting punched in the face. And, uh, you know, you can see my face. I got a broken nose and you punched a few times. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be good looking. It's a badge of honor. Yeah, that's right. But, uh, you know, the thing is, is that uh, if they say it doesn't kill you, it makes, it makes you stronger, right? So, uh, so that's the way I approach life. And it's, uh, you know, I've made mistakes. I've made more. And that's one thing I always try to encourage people about. Don't be afraid to make mistakes because you learn from them. That's how you learn, right? And, you know, and I'm very very blessed that I got my children working with me, you know, and, uh, you know, they're, they're hard workers. And I, you know, like I said, they, they towed their loan, they towed their, uh, they towed their road, right. And, uh, they, uh, work hard and they understand that I'm not dragging dead bodies with me. Right. I said, you know, you guys got to step up and they do, they, they, they're pushing me out of the way all the time. right? trying to put, get me do this and get me, you know, let, let me do this. Let me do this. Have you seen the show succession? No. Oh my God. I mean, how, what do you do for fun? What's, what's your, what's your, what do you do? You know, lately it's, uh, I always had my children, right? Cause I, and I'm very fortunate because my oldest is 40 and my youngest is uh, nine. Right. Yeah. So in between there, they, they keep like my spare time has always been with my kids. Right. And, uh, you know, we don't, they're not big sports addicts or anything else, but you know, there's all, we used to always do something together and it's, uh, you know, it's amazing to me. I, I used to try to read and when it was, uh, before you, it was easier, but as the kids get older and, you know, it's getting harder to spend time with them, especially my little, uh, little girl now, cause she's nine and we spend a lot of time, like me and her, we watch SpongeBob and we go for, we used to, before the COVID thing, when the COVID, we go to, uh, Walmart at seven o'clock in the morning and then we go to Sobeys and then we go to the chicken burger and get a coffee. And so it's just routines, you know, that do we do hang out and stuff like that on my days off. But I go to work in the mornings at, uh, you know, uh, leave around 6.30 or so. And, you know, I try to get home early in the afternoon so we can uh, go for a walk now and stuff like that. So, Good. It's all balance of your time, right? It's uh, yeah, balance your time and your family. So, yeah. It's just it, the, the things you bring up are just so relatable on so many levels. Like, yeah, you, my apologies about the dogs. We have a tenant on the middle floor and yeah, she comes home at this, uh, I'm sure you know. Um, it's just interesting. All the stories that you bring up are very relatable to, to any level of business, not just at the CEO level of what you do, but at any other level of just not being afraid and just balance. I get that for sure. Like, for example, you say balance, there's, there's times where I don't want to play the game. Like you say, then I say, and try to, you know, you know what I mean? But you know, whenever, like whenever I take like a week off of this company, not a week off, but just relax for a minute, like enjoy the fruits of your labor. It's in my head, it's, it's frustrating. I get a little worried. It's kind of hard for me to relax. If, if we go on like a week away for vacation, it's tough to really sit there and <clears throat> enjoy it. But when I come back to work, it's, um, you know, I don't work, I, I, I work so much harder 
when you talk about the balance, and that's another thing I'm starting to learn as these couple of years have gone by, is resting is fine, but getting back to work is a lot more, I guess, fun for me because you're, you're resting, I guess. I don't have kids or a wife, but... Well, the thing is, is that, um, you know, when you're off, you, you need some time to recharge your batteries. There's no question. And But when you're off, there's other things you can be doing to learn about other things, right? Reading and stuff like this here. So you've got some time now you can read about your business, read about what you're going to do, how other people are doing it. And that's the fun part, right, to uh, uh, see how other people have done it, everything and learn from them, learn from their mistakes and, uh, you know, just keep pushing, keep pushing, right? And uh, it's, even though you're off, it's still with you 24 oh, seven. It's, 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 it's a problem. Like, it's like even affects my sleep sometimes, you know, you're, you wake up at three and you can't fall back asleep. You're just up. You just, cause you're thinking of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just there. Used to try to keep a piece of paper by my desk. So when I woke up, because I'd always wake up with ideas, right, and try to write <laughs> to uh. get them the next morning. But you know, my wife always says to me, "How do you fall asleep so fast?" I say, "I got a clear conscience, so it's no big deal, right?" And uh, so she, I just tease her. But uh, you know, the thing is, I don't worry about stuff, right? And uh, you know, I don't. I'm not afraid, and I don't get stressed, and I don't. You know, I just do things. I fix things, and I make things happen, right? That's fair. Um, how much time are we at right now, Joe? 52 were okay are you good for time do you have to do you yeah, have another, like no. 50, 10 minutes yeah sure you're sure you're good yeah yeah um okay so this guy grew up in bedford so he wants me to ask about uh, oh, yeah. so like the chicken burger startup <laughs> how, how did that come about well you know it's funny because the chicken burger how that happened was that uh, tom Innes and uh, don farmer came in to see me about a donation for the Cobquit center they're building that hospital so they come in there, asked me, you know, tell me about it, what they're doing, how we needed a hospital up there, and blah blah blah, right? And uh, so he says, uh, like, we're looking for twenty thousand dollars from you. You know, like, you could donate twenty thousand dollars. I said, well, that's a lot of money. He goes, yeah. I said, I'll tell you what. I said, Tom, I said, I'll give you a hundred thousand, but I want first right of refusal to buy the chicken burger. He goes, well, we're not selling. I said, no, no, you're not selling right now. But if you ever do, no big, no obligation. But if you ever sell a chicken burger, I want first right of refusal. I'll give you $100,000. He said, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, go, okay. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, that's how it started. And, uh, you know, years later when it did come up for sale, I went up and seen him. And uh, we chatted about it. And uh, and I remember when he, um, first time we kind of do a deal, we had a deal. And then he calls me up and said, well, my mom, my mom won't sell and I says, oh, no problem. I said, if she doesn't want to sell, that's fine. When she does, she changes her mind. Give me a call then. So it was a few years later. Then I went back and seen him, and I, I had heard that he was thinking about selling again. So I said, you know, Tom, I said, let's, you, you, I heard you were thinking about well, I'm looking at it, but I said, well, let's do it. Anyway, so we went through the same thing, and uh, we had the business appraised, and I said, here, I'll pay you that for it. He said, wow, wow. And he, he said, okay. He says, uh, anyway, he called me back the next day, same thing. He said, my mom won't sell and I said, geez, I said, look, Tom, can I talk to your mom? Would it be okay? He goes, well, yeah, okay. So he, uh, he he set up meeting up, and I went and seen Mrs. Innes, and a really beautiful young lady, beautiful old lady. But uh, she was, uh, we sat and we talked for over an hour, and we talked about everything about but the chicken burger. Right? We talked about my family, her family, life, and all kinds of different things. And then at the end of the conversation, she says, uh, okay, I'll sell to you. See, that's that's what I mean about those meetings. It's 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 personal, and then the next thing I'll sell it to you. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, then when we signed the deal, when the deal was signed, uh, I remember this here. And I like the story here because she gets up, she goes, "Okay, she's uh, okay." She looks at the window. She says, um, "I guess I'll move, but it's probably going to kill me." You know. 
I said, well, what are you moving for? She said, well, you own this now. I said, uh, this is always your house. As long as you're, you want it, this is your house. You can stay here for nothing. You can stay here, you just, you know, just pay your, you know, for your expenses, but you, you can live here for nothing, right? She said, you let me do that? And I said, absolutely. I said, and I said, I want you to, you own the, you still own the chicken burger as far as I'm concerned. And the one thing I asked, asked you to do, she said, what's that? Because she was always talking about the, the chicken soup. I said, you got to make sure that chicken soup is not too salty. She said, yeah. And you know, something was great because my kids grew up with her and they loved her. And they, they uh, I remember when they set up the ch- ice cream place, she says, you know, I was going, I told, I told Tom to do that, right? And she, <laughs> And uh, she, the kids would go over and they they treat her really well, you know. And she was uh, she was always treated like the owner. Right? And that's uh, she. I actually got her to uh, write a little book on uh, life and times of the chicken burger. So oh she, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, she was a great lady, and uh, it was uh, sad to see her when she passed. Right. So it was. Well, it's a great success story over there at the chicken burger. When you talk about good times with family and memories made, you talk yeah. about the chicken burger. Oh yeah. Something about it that just captures you. Yeah, no, Tom and uh, the family, uh, yeah, they, uh, they took care of the mom, and it was a great, great family, and it was a great story. You know, it's a legacy, right? So. Okay, well, you're a, great sco- you're a great story, and you got a great legacy going. I'm sure it's not done. I'm sure you have more things you're, you're trying to accomplish, and uh, I appreciate, like I said, this hour of your time coming over here and, and talking. There's a lot of young entrepreneurs and athletes and chefs well i guess chef's an entrepreneur sorry i didn't mean to bring up entrepreneur small business owner <laughs> but uh there's a lot of people uh, that are going to take a lot from this episode and uh and take it and apply it hopefully so once again thank you very much yeah, no problem the only thing i'd say is like you know it's fear that holds people back you just got to get past that right? and, uh, you can do anything and if, making mistakes is it's not a bad thing you know people are afraid to make mistakes i don't want to do that i remember the guy next door to me when i set my body shop up and that there he says oh geez i can't I can't stand having a mortgage on my house. I can't owe this money. I don't want to owe any money. I said, why? That's no big deal. As long as you pay it back, it's, uh, it's easy. Anyway, so like I said, fear can, uh, can destroy you. Right? I'll give you a quick story. The reason why I reached out to your people to get you on was because someone said I couldn't get you on. I go, no, you can't get Mickey on. There's no way you'd come on. He's going to come to your crummy basement and thought, there's no way. And out of that, it pissed me off. And I said, I'm, fuck, I'm going to get this guy on. The- <laughs> that's, so that's kind of how that, this all came about. So I, I took your advice without even knowing your own advice. Yeah, yeah. So thanks again. I spoke for the guys at the, I, I got the Entrepreneur of the Year, right? And uh, this guy from uh, the government, what is it called? Uh, <coughs> She's come to me a second here, but uh, the business of uh, business of the year. No, no, it was a government. Uh, oh, the you did it. It was at the convention center the other day. No, no, this was uh, that was something else. But this was years ago when I was a when I was a kid. It was it was a board of governors or something like that for the anyways. For okay. the, anyways, it was big big thing in Canada. These guys are all over Canada, right? Okay. Anyways, the guy calls me up and wants me to talk. So anyways, we go down here and, and the guys getting ready for me to introduce me, right? guy says geez you must uh, you know you must get asked to speak all the time i said no i said nobody ever asked me to speak they know me they wouldn't have me. he goes you must be nervous i said why would i be nervous you asked me you should be nervous <laughs> I, go, I don't care i said nobody would ever ask me to speak <laughs> the guy's shit in his pants right anyway it was kind of funny <laughs> Let's let's end it on that. That was great, Mickey. Uh, thank you very much once again. I do appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, everyone listening, thank you very much uh, for tuning in. It's Monday, start of the week. Take Mickey's advice. Work hard. Have fun. Be fearless. Do whatever you want to do. If you want to be a 
mechanic, you're already a mechanic. Don't need permission from anyone else. Do whatever the hell you want to do, all right? Uh, like I said, work hard, have fun. Enjoy the rest of the week. We are out. Yeah.